Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And hello, this is Reverend Don Lewis coming to you from beautiful Florida, and this is Elder Talk Radio. And as I say at the beginning of nearly every Elder Talk Radio that I do, if you follow Elder Talk Radio, you will know that our format uh, involves a number of uh, Corellian elders, uh, including myself, First Priestess Stephanie Leon Neal, uh, First Elder Alyssa Maxson Kemp, uh, and Paladin General uh, Sir Ed Correll or Sir Ed Hubbard, same person, um, each giving a different take on the same subject. And the reason we do this is to emphasize how you can come at a single subject from several different points of view and rather than disagreeing, illuminate different aspects of that subject. And this is a very important thought in uh, Corellianism that there are different aspects of things when looked at from different levels. Uh, when we talk about the soul, what we perceive of the soul varies according to how we're looking at it. Uh, when we talk about our individual consciousness, um, there are many different ways to look at that. The world, the nature of incarnation and manifestation, all of these things have many levels you can look at them from. Now, what we're looking at today on Elder Talk Radio is the five mystic secrets. And uh, it's been suggested that I should probably focus on the history of the five mystic secrets, which I am going to do, um, because I am one of very few people who could make any commentary on that at this point. Um, I do first want to talk a little bit about what the five mystic secrets is, and then we'll talk about how it came to be, and um, maybe some other things that get thrown in along the way. As usual, I haven't thought a great deal about what I'm going to say, uh, and I'm just going to talk about it, because I find that's usually the easiest way for me to approach um, most subjects. So Five Mystic Secrets is a small book, uh, arguably more of a pamphlet that was published um, in the mid-1980s, I want to say 1986, um, written around 85, 86, and it was written by my mother, uh, Laveda Lewis High Carell, but it was written under the pseudonym Elizabeth Greenwood. And with a name like Laveda, my mother uh, had always wished she had a simpler name. Uh, she grew into Laveda, but as a child, she, she uh, fantasized about having a name like Elizabeth or Betty. So when she decided to write this book, it was at a point in time when most people Authors on the subject of paganism or magic were using pseudonyms, uh, not all, but many, and she felt that she needed to use the pseudonym to write this, and she uh, continued to use that pseudonym to write other things throughout the 1980s, although she didn't write a great deal. Uh, but there were a number of things that she did write, uh, particularly for Wheel of Hecate magazine, which uh, I published at that time, uh, and there were a couple of other places her writing appeared but only in small bits. This was the largest thing that she wrote. And the name Greenwood, which she selected as a pseudonym, was actually a, um, a descriptor of her branch of the High Corel family. Um, 
well, all surviving branches of the high corral family, really. And it distinguished them from uh, the redwood high corrals who had come before them, which is a long story. But that's where Greenwood comes from. It was also the name given to the house I grew up in. And uh, my grandmother had used similar symbolism for her home, where she actually had painted uh, the gingerbread veranda of the home green uh, to make a visual pun on green wood. And so Greenwood was um, a descriptor of our branch of the House of High Corral. Well, more precisely, I should say our branch of the House of High, because the Redwood, the Redwood Highs were not High Corrals. They were just Highs. Uh, so I misspoke a moment ago. Uh, and the Greenwoods were High Corrals. Um, and when she chose this as the pseudonym, she was directly referencing her family, uh, but also obscuring her identity because, you know, she lived in a small town, smallish. And this was a long time ago. This was 35 years ago, um, at least. And um, things were a little different. I was quite public at that time, uh, but I was very young. And um, it was different, I guess. She was not willing to be equally public at that point, so she used a pseudonym. And she wrote the book for a very particular reason. Um, but, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to take a moment and talk about what the five mystic secrets are within the book. And the five secrets are knowledge, God, life, the soul, and freedom. And she used this to outline the Corellian philosophy within the book. Some of the terminology that she used is different from what we would use today. Uh, she pointedly used the term God in a gender-neutral form. She spoke of God and referred to God as her and she, uh, but she did not use the term goddess, uh, partly because she wanted to use more accessible language, uh, and partly because she did tend to speak that way, using God as a, a neutral term, much the same way that I use spirit as a, a gender-neutral term. Uh, some of the terminology... Uh, she used the terms oversoul and undersoul very differently than how you might uh, discuss the soul today. But again, it was 35 years ago. And um, uh, terminology evolves. But the ideas are still the same ideas that we have now in Corellianism. And it talked about um, these five mystic secrets as being how, uh, by knowing them, you can lead a happy and effective life. And she wrote the book for a very particular reason, as I was about to say a few moments ago, and that was because this was during the rise of the so-called New Right. Um, and at this time, it was before the, um, I believe it was before the disgrace of the televangelists, uh, at least when she began writing it. And for those who don't rem remember that, Jim Baker, um, and a number of other prominent televangelists all became the subject of um, major scandals right around the same time and momentarily derailed that movement. But that followed this. At the time that she wrote this, she was very concerned about that movement. And truthfully, they did get back on track and proceeded with um, their long-term plans quite successfully. But that's another show. But she wrote this to be a different voice in what she hoped would be the mainstream. It never really got in the mainstream, but that was her intention, uh, that she could uh, 
present a different view using tools that they commonly used. And um, although it was not published in a format anything resembling a chick track, uh, that is part of what inspired her to write it and to put it out the way that she did. Um, if you don't know what that is, these were, were little hate tracks written from a Christian dominionist point of view that were being left all over the place at that time, still probably are. And uh, she wanted something that would represent a different point of view that could be handed out just as easily. So it's very small when all is said and done. And um, again, it, it is the first comprehensive layout of Corellian thinking uh, to the best of my knowledge. I will not swear that Caroline or Mabel may not have had some writing published somewhere that I don't know about. But as far as I know, this was the first publication, uh, certainly in any kind of major way, of Corellian thought. And again, some of the terminology has changed over the years because we found that certain other terms um, have been more understandable for us. But the ideas have not changed in terms of how we approach them. And uh, she wrote the book, and I helped to edit the book, I illustrated the book, and then I published the book uh, in its first publication. Uh, subsequently, it was published a second time uh, by myself and my late wife, and then a third time by Psychic Services Chicago. And eventually, um, it, it's had several publications since then under different names, but always by the same basic people. Um, and, of course, it came to Witch School, has been published through Witch School, and um, is available in several different languages at Witch School. And many Corellians consider it to be uh, our foundational document as such because it is, again, the oldest specific writing about Corellianism. Um, and very few people, and, I, you know, we haven't really spoken, well, I haven't really written about Corellianism before. Uh, that era. And it was an evolving uh, philosophy, as it will always be, because we do not believe in being fossilized. We believe that knowledge grows and expands, and that has been a Corellian view from the start. Um, so, for example, if we were to look at uh, the, Corellian, the Corellianism that my mother grew up with, most of the same ideas were current, but there was a stronger focus, I think, well, one, it was a familial tradition at that point, so a stronger focus on the family members and their individual strengths. But there was a lot of focus on direct communication with the ancestors, which, of course, we still focus on. Um, and some of us now still focus as strongly as they did then. Some of us don't. Uh, there was a strong focus uh, under Mabel on Eastern philosophy, which you will see strongly in contemporary Corellianism, there had been a strong focus on spiritualist philosophy and universalist philosophy under both Caroline and Mabel. You see that very much in modern Corellianism. Uh, but each individual, um, not only each first priestess, but each person who was practicing within the family brought their own strengths to it and their own knowledge. And that is still what we try to do today in the tradition. So, if you look at different prominent Corellian priesthood, you'll notice they don't all have uh, exactly the same focus. Some of them bring in elements from their particular ethnic background uh, or their particular specialties, and this is how it should be. 
And if you read the five mystic secrets, I think you will see that attitude right there in that work. Um, and that is part of what I w- would um, say is the secret of freedom, that you are free to do what you want um, if you do not limit yourself. Um, and the idea of the secret of freedom is that most people limit themselves consciously or unconsciously. We've spoken about that at great length uh, in my elder talks. Uh, and this is why shadow work is so very important. And right there uh, in this 35-year-old manuscript, we're talking about the importance of not tripping yourself up with your shadow. And um, it is... Um, a very important point. Um, and so let me, let me go through the five mystic secrets a little bit, and then perhaps we'll come back to um, the historical aspect of it. But the first secret is knowledge. And, you know, I would still consider that uh, to be the starting point of everything because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And the more you learn, the more you will in fact know. And the more that you learn, the more you'll find that spiritual people basically come to the same conclusions over time uh, because spirit is a reality. Spirituality is not an individual's fantasy. And so when you work with spirituality, ultimately you do come to very similar places no matter where you start. Um, so whether one is a pagan or a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or what have you, uh, ultimately, when you re- read the writings of spiritual people from those different paths, you'll find that they tend to converge in similar attitudes and experiences. And um, that's an important part of the aspect of knowledge. The idea of learning everything you can, um, I, I still promote as vitally important. And um, one of the stories I tell in the degree materials, when I achieved third degree, my teacher, Lady Crystal, told me uh, to bear in mind that although I had had this initiation and although I was coming into high status in the tradition, this was not an end. This was a beginning. Uh, All that it really meant is that I had the building blocks to continue to learn and grow. Uh, It certainly didn't mean that I knew everything or any other third degree as well. And that, in fact, you can never know everything. And when you think you do, you have made an error. And so this is where the five mystic secrets starts with the importance of, um, of loving knowledge, of learning what you can, and not thinking that you know everything, no matter how much you have learned. Um, The second secret is God or deity or spirit uh, and the importance of understanding the nature of the ensouled universe, the importance of as above, so below, the idea that the creator and the created are not separate things and can never be separate things. And yes, as Corellians, we teach about the soul in a very linear sort of way. Um, But this comes back to being able to look at things from different levels. The soul is very linear and resembles uh, a tree branch or the course of a river or 
the course of an artery, all of which look very much alike, um, in that it starts as single line and branches in many directions. But at the same time, all incarnation is simultaneous, and uh, the ultimate energy of every person and thing, though it may have branched out in all these ways, is still deity. Deity experiencing itself uh, through this complex pattern of incarnation. Um, and this is, um, this is very important. Now, and there are a number of points that were made in the five mystic secrets under the subject of deity, and a lot of them were in response to that evangelical dominionist movement. Um, and I'm looking at the text as I'm speaking, and um, it, um, now I'll read a couple of uh, pieces from it. Um, Just as God can wait a million years for you to arrive, so too, if it takes a million years, well, that's all right. God will understand. God doesn't hate you. God wants you to find your way. God will wait. The whole section on God or deity or however you want to put it uh, is all about the idea that deity loves you, deity created the world as an act of love, and is not looking to get you uh, as certain other religions might have it. And that, you know, as you go through incarnation, it may take some people longer than others. It takes everyone a long time, and that's okay. You may make mistakes. You may go to bad places, but that's okay. You have all the time in the world. That's the nature of incarnation. This incarnation won't last forever, but you, your higher self, will. And so if you happen to end up in a place you didn't really want to be, well, you know, there is a reset button. We believe in reincarnation. We believe in a, a loving deity uh, expressed through many forms who um, is not looking for anything but the welfare of all creation. And um, that's, uh, that's part of the idea of the secret of deity. And the idea that in terms of the relationship between ourselves and deity, or deities, however we want to look at it, it's the worshiper who requires it, not the deity. And, you know, we talk about this in our degree lessons, but it's right here in the Five Mystic Secrets. Uh, it's an idea I was raised with, that when we approach deity in worship, it's for our benefit and will benefit us. And uh, if we choose not to do that, deity is not lessened by the lack of our worship. Um, we are strengthened when we build that bond. Uh, not because deity is absent from us if we don't do that, but because we become conscious of it when we do it. We integrate it into our lives in a more intentional and conscious way. Um, life, the, the third mystic secret, um, one, of the, one of the big points that is made in the book is that um, existence, incarnation, the created world, is as it is meant to be. It may not be necessarily how we would like it with our conscious mind, but it is as it is for reasons. Uh, deity did not mess up the world. The world is not in a state of error. 
it's up to us to see why it is right and what it offers. That doesn't mean that we cannot make the world better. Sometimes that's exactly why certain things are as they are, to be a challenge to us, to be better people, and to make a better world. Uh, but it's not because the world is a bad place. The world is the creation of deity and um, is very interactive. And all things that exist change, which is one of the things uh, that is talking in, um, in the booklet. And often they change through death. And uh, it uh, addresses the idea that death is not a pathological condition, uh, but is an aspect of life as it is meant to be. Death is meant to come, and uh, so is the immortality of the soul and its eventual rebirth. Without death, there cannot be rebirth because we'd run out of room. And um, just as the sun sets each night to rise again each morning, and just as the trees turn brown and cast away their leaves to sprout again each spring, so too for us, rebirth invariably follows death, uh, which is a quote from the, the book. Uh, so addressing death and why not to be afraid of it is a big part of the book as well. And the importance of understanding that death is a natural part of our existence, part of what our soul goes through in incarnation is a big part of Corellianism. Um, that is not to say that when we lose someone we love, we should not be sad. It's natural that we would be. Uh, that is not to say that um, when someone dies under unfortunate circumstances, that's not a, a, a terrible thing, but it's the unfortunate circumstances that are terrible. Death comes to us all. It's one, one of the, the things that all humans and, and most all creatures have in common. And it is part of what is meant to be the cycle of incarnation. Because we die, we are reborn and can grow in a way that we would not if we were fossilized in a single personality. Uh, so again, it talks at, at some length about this. I'm not going into all the points, obviously. Uh, you can read The Five Mystic Secrets for yourself in the Witch School Library. Uh, it's available as a class. You can get it in several languages. Lots of options. Uh, the next secret is the soul. Uh, the fourth secret. And um, it talks about um, what we would call the higher self and the lower self. Uh, my mother used the term oversoul and undersoul. Today we say higher self, lower self. Um, partly because of uh, how other groups use the term oversoul. And so we, 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 we changed our terminology. Uh, oh, the term oversoul in certain groups is used in the way that we use the term monad uh, to mean a group of souls, a group, a, a soul family. Um, the way we look at the monad is that the monad is the soul of the soul, for want of a better way, way to look at it. There are, there are nine of them, and um, they're a soul group, a soul family, a soul root, um, a soul soul. You, you can describe them in many different ways, um, but they are the first division from which the souls come. And, um, and again, in certain other, other um, backgrounds, the term oversoul is used to describe this, which is part of why we changed our terminology. Uh, in the booklet, the term oversoul is used to mean higher self. Uh, and it talks about how, uh, how some people are born old, meaning that uh, the knowledge of past incarnations comes more easily to them for various reasons. 
Um, we've talked about that in other, other uh, elder talks and uh, throughout our writings. Uh, but it talks at some length about understanding the soul as, as well as the nature, again, of incarnation. And then the final uh, secret is freedom. And um, let me read a little bit about, um, about this freedom. This sister tells you that you need not be shackled in place and that if you are, you yourself possess the key. Hers is a secret to take heart, to take to heart. Hers is the secret of action, uh, which is to say, well, it, it says if there's anything in your life you do not like, you can change it. Try. If there's anything in your life that you desire, you can have it. Reach. Uh, so what it says is do not accept limitation. Um, if what you have is not what you want, try to change it. And, you know, sometimes for various reasons, we will not be successful in trying to make that change. Um, usually because of our shadow. But always we should try. Uh, if we see what we desire, we should attempt uh, to pursue it. If we see what we wish to be, we should attempt to become it. Uh, not sit back and say, oh, I could never do that. If you do not try, of course you'll never do it. Um, and in trying, again, shadow work is very important. But uh, the idea that you have the freedom to pursue what you want and that deity is, is rooting for you to have it. And that certainly there are circumstances in life that can hold us back. But if we try, we can sometimes get around them. And magic is a huge tool to do that with. Um, and this is what the secret of freedom is about. So these are the things in part that are talked about uh, in the book. And there's a lot, there's a lot more. But uh, I can only say so much in uh, the 20 to 30 minutes I usually take for an elder talk. So going back to, um, to the history of it, again, my late mother wrote this under the pseudonym of Elizabeth Greenwood, largely as an answer to Christian dominionists during the televangelical age. Um, again, it was before the... Um, the fall of the bakers and um, other televangelists of that period um, at a point in time when they were, were perceived as a very dangerous force, um, certainly by us. I still perceive them as a very dangerous force, and I think we must be very aware of the Christian Dominionist movement, which is currently in, in strong ascendancy. Um, and what they have done is they have followed the same plan with variations, of course. All things change as you follow them. But they've followed a long-term plan for a long while, and it's done very well for them. And we need to, to really be looking at long-term um, ideas as well, which, in fact, we have been doing for some time. In writing the book, she was answering that movement. So it does tend to focus a little bit on refuting some of their ideas more so than, say, something we would write today, because today we tend to write specifically for our own people. Uh, the Fibistic Secrets was not written for the Corellian tradition, was written for the wider world from the point of view of the Corellian tradition. And at that time in the mid-80s, the Corellian tradition was much, much smaller than it is today. It was at that point a public tradition with members who were not part of the family, uh, as opposed to decades previous 
Um, but it was still a small number of people compared to what we are now. Uh, and to speak to them, you just had to be in the same room. Um, we did have temples in more than one city at that time, but all within Illinois. And all of those people did occasionally see one another physically. Uh, so it wasn't that we, we perceived a need to, to be writing things. And in fact, we were working on what became the degree lessons uh, in theory even then. Um, but of course, those things came to pass at a much later date. But this actually came to pass then. And it's a bit of an encapsulation of where Corellian thought was at the time. That, I think, is its strongest um, historical aspect. And it, it still is a good description of Corellian thought. Some of the terms have changed. The ideas uh, are, are, are as they were. And again, many Corellians consider it the most important Corellian writing. Um, obviously, for me, it has a certain emotional meaning, having been written by my mother, uh, that is important even beyond what it says, and a project that I worked on with her, uh, and we worked on a number of projects together at that time. Um, but I think that anyone who reads it will benefit today as they would have benefited then, uh, even though the political circumstances under which it was written have changed somewhat, although it seems like uh, we just kind of went around in a circle. And even though some of the terminology is different, it's not so different that uh, it should throw anyone. So I strongly recommend, if you have never read The Five Mystic Secrets, that you should, and that you will come away with a better knowledge of Corellianism, but also a better understanding of the universe uh, for having done so. And with that, I want to thank you for listening, and um, I will talk to you again next month. And until then, may you blessed be.
goddess takes my hand Into the forest green with the horned man Ah Thrown till she 